Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com this podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. It's hard to beat a good cup of coffee before you're heading out to hunt, shed hunt, or whatever you're doing outside. It's even harder to beat a fresh roast premium coffee that ships out within six hours of roasting directly to your doorstep. And that's exactly what Skull Brew Coffee Company does. Guaranteeing you the freshest coffee available. The kicker, 10% of proceeds are donated back to conservation. You choose where the donation goes at checkout. You can check us out at SkullBrewCoffee.com. And for a limited time, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and get 15% off your purchase. So let's do something good together and help protect wild places one cup at a time. Visit SkullBrewCoffee.com and pledge your support of conservation today. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 108 Today we're rolling on to part two of our DIY report, Public Land Trail Camera Strategies. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well out there in Whitetail land. Hope everyone's getting out, able to get outside a little bit. Finally got a little bit of a, a weather break this past weekend. It seems like, man, it's been stupid cold and just rainy and or snowy, sleety, icy, nasty, crappy northeast weather for, it seems like, weeks now. So finally got a little bit of nice weather. I was able to actually get outside, shoot my bow outside, which was awesome. Um, got to do that, which is always a which is always a good time to kind of try to stay back into form. I do shoot, you know, pretty often in my basement, just, you know, a couple nights a week I shoot in my basement and I can get about a 15 yard shot off. So it kind of helps me keep my stuff together, but it's always nice to get outside and, and stretch it out a little bit. And, uh, it just kind of make me feel like I'm, I'm, I'm doing some real archery work, but, uh, I did get a chance to, uh, I hope a lot of you have, have got a chance to do this, but, um, I, I know just in talking to buddies in different States, they're, they're starting to see some, you know, antlers come off, of course, and uh, shed season is is now just starting, I guess, to be to be upon us. And I'm sure you guys, if any of you that have listened to this for any length of time, have heard me talk about the fact that I am the world's worst shed hunter and had yet to ever find a shed. And part of the reason is is that I go into a shed hunt and it turns pretty quickly into a scouting trip. Um, and I know that you know finding sheds can be a valuable piece of information. One to understand, you know, a buck that has made it through the the season and would likely, you know. Um, you know, likely be around for the next hunting season, barring any type of, you know, injury, illness, or you hit by a car or something like that. So that's obviously a puzzle piece. 
And then also, you know, if you're finding if you're finding shed antlers, you know, depending on where you're finding them, you might start to be able to put some pieces together as far as where he's bedding, where he's feeding, at least during the late season, which you would hope maybe that would that would stay true for the early part of the season as well. Um, so there is some data there to, to be had from from shed antlers. So with all that said, I had a chance to go out with my buddy Tom uh, from Le- Relive the Hunt. Um, this past weekend, we went shed hunting on a couple. We checked out, you know, the swamp that I'd been hunting and checked that out and kind of gave that a good sachet. Found zero sheds there, which is of no surprise because I typically don't find sheds. Um, checked out the other side of the swamp because I wanted to check that out. And I think I found a nice little terrain feature that I want to set up on. But it's weird because there had been deer in there. And I, as, if any of you had listened, you know, earlier to some of the earlier podcasts, um, I had some good deer in that swamp. And it just for the for the caliber of deer that I had on camera in there, there is freakishly very little sign that would tell you that there is any type of bucks in that particular area. Um, so, you know, we'll see what kind of plays out next year, throwing cameras up in there and, and doing, you know, some more scouting and so forth, but it's not a big piece and we were pretty much all over it and didn't see a whole lot of signs. So I'm not quite sure what's going on in, on, uh, on that piece particularly. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens next year, but we did leave that spot and went to a couple places. Tom had been shed hunting in the past and had some success. So, and I am happy to report that I finally did find my first shed ever. It was a pretty good shed, too, for for PA. I want to say, I think Tom, we, well, I found one side, Tom found the other side. Um, and we measured one of the sides, and it measured like 53 inches. So, um, you know, if you if, if it's even on both sides, roughly, right, you, you got about 100, a little over 100 inches antler there, some, you know, spread, you know, 16-inch spread, whatever. So, for PA, you know, it's probably pretty close to 120, 120-ish inch deer which, you know, next year should be a really nice deer. So that was kind of exciting to to, uh, to find that. But uh, I'm going to try to get out and do a little bit more shed hunting. My plan is to hit the uh, hit the property, my dad's property, and, and make a walk through in some of the thicker areas since I've started to learn just a little bit more about that piece. Hoping I can figure some stuff out there and hoping that a few shed antlers might be the, uh, the golden ticket to be, you know, a, a few of the final puzzle pieces that I need to get on one of the good deer on that property. But... Without further delay, today we have our part number two of our DIY report, Public Land Trail Camera Strategies with Chad and Jake from Exodus Trail Camera. Um, and today it's a cool session because the first session we did was really about setting up and uh, assessing a property. It's a lot of the similar things you would go through if you're going to hunt a piece of public land um, was that first session. We're talking about gathering inventory and, and things of that nature and qualifying a parcel and basically all the due diligence you should do before you choose to hunt a piece of a piece of public land to make sure it's going to have one the caliber of deer that you want and two the amount or lack of pressure that you're that you're looking for. Today's session is going to be more focused on early season and the pre-rut time period. You know, you know if when you know when and how bucks are changing their travel patterns or their travel corridors when they go hard horn. Um, looking at terrain features that they're going to start to use that time of the year, and we talk a little bit about secondary terrain features, which is kind of interesting. Then, of course, you know a little bit of scrape, rub activity, and so on and so forth. So. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get Chad and Jake on the line. But before we do that, let's take a quick second to talk about our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. We're brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear, the longest lastest, fastest cutting, toughest tree trimming equipment you have ever used. Simply put, the toughest saws on earth. How tough are they? Tough enough to come with a lifetime warranty. And right now, when you visit wickedtreegear.com, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and save yourself 20% on your next Wicked purchase. We're also brought to you by Tecamani Seed. If you guys haven't yet, might want to pick up some clover seed, get ready for frost seeding. No matter if you're in the south, midwest, or northeast, Tecamani Seed has your food plot seed needs covered. That was a lot of seeds and needs. Visit tecamani.com, check out the product selector tool, and help 
Let them help you pick the right seed for your food plots. Use promo code TRUTH at checkout and save 20%. We're also brought to you by Glacier Coolers, simply the world's finest. Whether you're hunting, camping, fishing, you'll enjoy smarter design, stronger construction, and superior insulation of Glacier Coolers. Visit them at GlacierCoolers.com. Promo code TRUTH at checkout. Save yourself 20%. Now let's get Chad and Jake on the line. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And we are here with part number two of Public Land Camera Strategies with my buddies from Exodus, Chad and Jake. What's going on, fellas? What's up, what's up? We're still at the, at the Harrisburg Outdoor Show. We haven't left. It's like Groundhog Day. It's like movie Groundhog Day. It is yeah. like Groundhog Day. <laughs> yeah, it's, but there's no Bill Murray. Yeah. Would it be awesome if Bill Murray just showed up? That would be fun. It would be amazing. Actually, I th- and he's not from Pennsylvania. I think he has an affinity for P, the PA, though, for some reason, I think. Groundhog Day was like the other, re- like last week or this week, wasn't it? It was this weekend. Was it? That's I think fitting. so. I think it was like February 1st. It was recently. Or 2nd. Because my buddy's like, you're going to PA? I was like, yeah. He's like, Dude, you got to go to the ground. I, I had a buddy that was from Punxsutawney, and he Punxsutawney is like a really small yeah. like little town or whatever. And he was like, Groundhog Day is like the biggest thing that happens to Punxsutawney every year, and it's just like crazy. It's like basically Punxsutawney's version of um, St. Patrick's Day, yeah. essentially, uh, where it's just like, like a big party. Everyone runs yeah. amok, you know. And it's just kind of expected. It's a complete shit show. You know, and uh, the groundhog comes out, and everyone gets excited about it. Like, <laughs> so I got a funny college story, but I'll save it for off the air. It's okay. <laughs> we're keeping it PG today, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Don't embarrass myself. Awesome. Well, we're going to dive into part two here for camera strategies, and what we're really talking about here. Again, this is kind of we're focusing on public land, but juxt- using some juxtaposition of of, of private land as well. Um, and what we're talking about today specifically is early season and pre-rut because what we talked about in the first part was really about how are we qualifying a parcel, making sure there's deer that we want to hunt, what are some food sources that we're looking at that we can start to take some inventory, and then using trail cameras, like, you know, whether it's food sources, hard edges, you know, beaten trails or whatever, to try to figure out what direction they might be moving and who is on the property and when they're, and when they're showing up. And so this is really kind of the next phase of that making a plan as you're kind of maybe you're hunting out of state or whatever the case might be. So now that you have the piece that you're going to hunt, you know, maybe we're getting closer to hunting season and we're, let's just say we're in late September, right? We're getting ready for the season to actually really kick off, you know, and we're assuming these states are like October openers or whatever, because at some point, you know, some states are opening a little earlier. You know, where are you hanging and moving your cameras at this point? And, you know, how similar is your approach on, on public as it is to private? Um... I haven't done a whole lot of private, uh, you know, private stuff in the last couple of years, but, you know, Jake can speak on that. But on a, on a public end, um, you know, as I kind of wrapped up, you know, my strategy on the, through the summer, I started to talk a little bit about those transitioning food sources. So starting, um, you know, kind of that pre-rut phase, that's kind of still, still there for me. Um, and then really identifying um, scrape areas is I guess transition areas or staging areas mm-hmm. from bedding to food uh, in those kind of high stem count locations where deer are going to kind of hole up. Now, one of the things that I've just recently started doing is using some of that summer intel um, in relation to doe bedding and uh, kind of mm-hmm. identifying some of those doe bedding areas to kind of forecast where those primary scrape opportunities may mm-hmm. rise mm-hmm. Um, and then start setting cameras up there. Okay, interesting. Well, how about you for, for public? Honestly, I, I've had really good luck with licking branches and scrapes in that late September time, in that early October, uh, before mm-hmm. there's actual scratches on the ground. And right. that's that was on a public piece that I hung. There was a lot of great deer on there. And 
it's a pretty good way to get a gauge on the bucks in the area or if you if you can do a you know a mock line yeah and right i think that's really under undervalued to that september october people aren't really thinking about it because they're physically not seeing them yet right and the funny thing is that you mentioned that because i've heard guy it might even been jeff sturgis talking about He's big that on him, yeah. yeah because the, like he was i think i was i think it was him i was talking to where he was saying that you know folks get all geeked up whenever it hits like mid-october to really start like their mock scrapes and stuff like that and licking branches and stuff like that he's like but man they can be money earlier and earlier in the year you know and that was even one thing talking to you know zach farinbaugh he was like man deer are making sign all year round he's yeah. like you're just not seeing it you know what i mean or it's in places where you're not typically looking or you're not in the woods as often because it's not hunting season right. he's like but they're constantly communicating because that's how they communicate it's not like they just stop talking to yeah, one another right. you know there was i'm curious you know are you starting at this point to focus any at all on travel corridors either of you like whether it's public or, or private are you starting to see how they're going to start to start yeah. to move a little bit yeah absolutely um so going back to some of those hub cameras uh on benches or terrain features again i'm going to gather that intel how those deer were using it over you know the summer months correlated to what i think the bedding is going to the bedding opportunity is going to be in the fall how and again i'm dropping pins on like onyx so mm -hmm. what google earth or whatever i'm dropping pins to forecast what i think is going to happen and then i'm proving that thesis or theory with the camera data that's that um you know that i'm that i'm gathering so you know travel corridors on hard edges and soft edges mm -hmm. like going to those kind of major terrain features like those deep those deep saddles those those benches in hill country mm -hmm. um looking for some of the secondary because one of the things that um one of the things that we've run it's a lot of people this some people might not recognize this because maybe they're not running the number of cameras we have you know 100 cameras on public ground right. um so an, an insane amount of data but a lot of those older mature bucks i mean five and a half years old and old like the bucks that we're trying to kill and we can't kill right basically right um they're using more subtle terrain features than those younger deer like yeah. they're not going they'll use a they'll use a bench but that bench isn't eight feet wide right it's a secondary bench maybe maybe a little bit lower maybe a little bit higher Off than the primary that. trails which yeah is they're using secondary secondary terrain features to travel yeah and I don't, I, you know, I don't know why that is, but a lot of times when we identify those major uh, terrain features, I'll often throw a, another camera up on some of those secondary and just kind of prove, you know, right where these deer, you know, how are they moving? Right. So we got a vacuum cleaner behind us. Or I don't know if it's picking or it up something. or not. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, no, it's 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 interesting because I think I started experiencing that in real life this year. I think in the spot that I was hunting in Ohio, because right. like what I realized after I figured out what was below me a little bit i realized there was an old logging road that was completely mm -hmm. grown over and i was like man i guarantee you there's bucks that are skirting the camera and also skirting me mm -hmm. by using that that road below me because all the doe activity you were typically seeing was up up top along this you know along the top of this ridge and i was seeing bucks up there right but it just made me start thinking like how many am i not seeing because the secondary kind of travel feature or terrain feature is you know 15 yards below me and there's no way I could see it from where I was at, right? And right. they could completely skirt the camera. Yeah. When do you guys think is the best time to find that those secondary trails? Is it postseason scouting or still that early season? Or I think postseason scouting um, is part of that, but I also think it's that happens over time. Like you, you figure it, it out over time, his, or well, I think it's historical trail camera data. Like okay. I see. And a lot of times, if you're not getting photos, some like you should always be asking yourself questions when you're looking at your you shouldn't just be scrolling through your pictures and saying oh there's a big deer for face value yeah, yeah i mean you should be asking when where why 
look at the weather, look at outside influences, look at food sources, look at all that. And then if you're not getting photos, ask yourself the same damn question. <laughs> right. And if yeah. you can put a you know a logical reason why it's not happening, then move move your camera somewhere else where you think yeah. it is going to happen. Well, it's the same it's the same principle when you're in a stand, right? right. Especially as a mobile hunter. And this is something I've talked about. I have a chat problem with of like getting married to a spot because i'm like i know i'm gonna see deer here i know i'm gonna see deer here i'm seeing deer here i'm just not seeing the right one right it's like and i know fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I feel I don't. I shouldn't say I know. I feel like if I just stick with it, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in the chips, right? Yeah. But it's the same idea with a stand as it is a camera. It's like if I'm not seeing anything, I need to be better at going. Hey, you know what? I need to make a move because I think I'm getting skirted over this way, right? Same thing with cameras, right? It's like if you know, if you think there's a reason why you're not getting camera pictures, that is not outside influences like right, right moving deer away or like there's pressure or whatever if it's just like a matter of like how they're using the property differently than what you had originally thought it's like then you got to move it yep. you know what i mean that's uh but it's uh it was interesting for me to watch that play out from the stand this year because mm -hmm. it was a huge learning experience and now this year if i hang cameras there because i know i'm not I might not be around for ohio this year it's like i would definitely be hanging a camera lower there as well to see mm -hmm. how often am i getting skirted Right, because um, we did have good deer on camera where I did have it hung, but they seemed to elude me whenever I was set up. You know, yeah. so so you know at this point, we've kind of identified the areas that we're going to be hanging cameras. We're focusing on the, the travel corridors and stuff. Are you doing anything at this point? You know, to start to identify, you know, hang cameras. I guess outside of buck bedding, like identifying that and what's your kind of rule around how close you're willing to get to that. Um, you know, pre rut. We'll have we'll have cameras like so some of the postseason scouting stuff with us, um, and this is I don't backing way up I guess. Uh, if we have historical camera on an area or historical data um, on a specific deer or an area where we think a deer is bedded, we'll go in there and hang a camera. You know, in the postseason, lithium batteries, big SD card, long trigger delay, and just let the thing soak for a year, right? Um, and then try to ident identify that. I am not physically going in in October to hang cameras or maybe find, or find one <laughs> or yeah or, or 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 find one right. um not that um you know i hunt a big enough piece where i'm not worried about bumping deer because i can go find them again but it's a lot of work you right know what i mean right and i sometimes i think that um my personal opinion is that you can get away with more than what what you really think in in certain areas um as long as you have the ability to go find them again but right. you're, you're creating more work for yourself so Really, at this point, like I'll go in and hang cameras in, on doe bedding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, you know that that time frame. Um, but specific buck bedding, uh, not not in hill country in swamp country. If I see something, absolutely. But right. typically, that's hard hard transitions. Right, and that was kind of like, you know, again that camera that I hung on the public in Ohio this year. It's like I thought I had doe bedding on both sides, right? Mm -hmm. What I assumed that's why I thought what I was I was seeing what I was seeing when I was hunting that spot. Yeah in prior years mm -hmm. and then when we pulled the camera it was like just confirmed exactly what we thought it right. was like we had does in there at like mm -hmm. noon 11 o'clock you know 1 30 eating and we were like man that's why there's bucks around there that's why that's a primary scrape area because there's doe bedding all around this spot yes. you know so it became 
it just all the pieces kind of came together, and it totally and it totally made sense from that um, from that standpoint. At this point, though, you know, what are you specifically looking for in your trail camera data? You know what I mean? Like, because you've already qualified the parcel and you have some decent bucks on there. Are you specifically looking to see like who now has stuck around, and are they are they changing their patterns now based on them going hard horned? And you know, so what are you kind of taking away from your intel at this point? Um, that's part of it. A lot of uh, a lot of what I'm looking at is the time of the photo and the direction that you're coming from. Hmm. Okay. Um, I'm looking at if I get a picture of a deer at one o'clock in the morning, he could well, he could be a mile away. Mm-hmm. So then, if that's if that's a consistent pattern from a certain direction, then I'm going to cast more cameras in that direction mm-hmm. and try to backtrack him. Maybe I get a picture of him at eleven o'clock, mm-hmm. and then I confirm that. Then I'm taking it a step further. So I'm trying. To kind of leapfrog those cameras to pinpoint bedding to have a hunting opportunities to where okay maybe i i get that deer um on camera half hour after shooting light right that's close enough for yeah. me like i don't need to be any further because you know once that weather front comes bit. yeah that deer gets up yeah. on his feet just a little bit earlier that's going to be my opportunity right so it's 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 dictated around time right is it the same for you jake yeah i mean those are the big things as far as if I get a killable buck, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and try to slam dunk. Right. <laughs> I don't care what time you know if it's season. So. Right. Um, monitoring those cameras and, and you know seizing the moment and easier said than done. But right. I mean ultimately, yeah, trying to correlate why that deer is there at that time, and if he's killable, make a move. But if not, you got some more homework to do. Right. And I've I've actually seen it. I don't know if you guys have seen this too, but I've I've paid a little bit of attention to the wind direction. Mm-hmm. Like when, yeah. on those days, I'll go back and I'll look at you know, whether underground or whatever historically, and I'll go back even like two years on a deer if I have that much intel on him and figure right. out like when, you know, what wind directions he's like. But even during that time of the year, it's like I feel like I, I've seen like the wind direction that they want to travel is not, isn't the consistent intelligence piece that has helped me in the past for whatever reason. You know, it's like I've, especially the swamp this year, it's like I had deer crossing a camera with almost any wind, almost any wind direction, which made me, so uh, let me back up for a second. I was really confused by it at first. I was like, so I thought that was, they were going to move mainly on like a north-northeast wind, right? Because that's what I was getting the original pictures on, right? And then a couple weeks later, I checked, and now it was like a south-southwest wind, right? And I'm like, man, I do not get – these deers are willing to move almost any direction. And I talked to Greg Litzinger about it. So I was like, dude, I'm I'm baffled. I was like, I don't know which wind to go hunt, like other than like don't hunt the wrong wind to blow into their bedding or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he said something that just totally made sense to me. He's like – if they're that comfortable where you're at to move in any wind direction, he's like, you're in their bedroom. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say the pressure must be low then. Yeah. That particular area. Yeah. So is it, have you kind of seen something similar, like as far as like if there are deer that are willing to move almost on any wind? Um, I necessarily haven't seen that. Uh, correlating some of that back to swamp, I've seen deer bed in the same area on multiple different winds. So it's not in like in hill country where it's isolated right. up on, on that upper one-third with their wind that are back. They're getting on some of these islands in the swamp and simply just moving from edge to edge. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yep. So you know, now at this point, you know, say we have a buck. I want to kind of shift like the, I guess, the perspective here. Say we now have a buck who's a home, who's a like complete homebody. He was on the mm-hmm. farm or he was on the public land, you know, on that piece during the summer. He stayed there after he shed velvet. You know, you've talked about leapfrogging, right, to try to get back to a buck. Just Give give like an example of like places where you might have found a found a buck, and then like how you kind of leapfrogged, and what terrain features you were looking for to kind of make sure you were going to have the best chance to start to pin right. pin him down a little bit. You know what I mean? Because when you say leapfrog, it's like I want to make sure people realize it's not just don't move the camera, 
20 yards or 30 yards down the trail that he's walking on, yeah. right? You're trying to find the next significant yeah. terrain feature that he's going to yes, use toward exactly. where you think he's going to live. Exactly. So Jake is really, really good at, about uh, kind of about this strategy, about setting cameras up on scrapes. And really the, the goal there is still the same. It's you're gathering inventory. Um, a lot of those, you know, the more bucks that start to use those scrapes, like it's just going to attract other deer. Compound, it's social, yeah. um, social communication site. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot like food sources this time of the year we're using scrapes mm-hmm. to kind of gather that inventory on video mode looking for the direction mm-hmm. where the deer's traveling looking at the manner how they're working licking branch and how they're you know pawing the ground up right and then to your point about leapfrogging cameras we go back to the topographical maps and the aerials and look at hard edge transitions topographical features and then by leapfrogging cameras um to your point it's we're not moving them 20 yards or 50 yards. We're like we're following those transition areas, you know, boots on the ground scouting mm-hmm. to identify, you know, where those deer may, are maybe coming from. And when we're, we don't want to. Uh, I I I don't like to go too far because then if you if you're wrong in what you then you're way wrong. Then you yeah you're way yeah. wrong. Now yeah. you're starting over and you've lost multiple weeks. So um, I go as far as I go as far as I need to, but as far as I can. Without second guessing, right. without second guessing myself. So sometimes that, that that could be, that could be a hundred yards. Sometimes that could be, you know, a quarter mile. Right? Well, yeah, and I think it's important on what the terrain is as well, it, because yes. it, and if you're talking in terms of you know legitimate distance yards, there's times where I see deer they get out of their beds and like they trot across, you know, to what you know whatever that is. So right. uh, definitely look at the map and try to put the pieces together. Right. And one of the things I see you do that is pretty cool. You know, I, a lot of times we're talking about big terrain features, right? Um, saddles, benches, hard edges, but sometimes those deer will follow a little, a little ditch. It's two feet deep. Yeah, and that's even the the pieces of the public that I'm hunting, the places where I kill my deer. Right. <laughs> There's a reason why I'm killing them because no one else wants to hunt there. Right. <laughs> They're like, yeah. This is stupid. It's right. Like, I'm happy to sit out there and look like an idiot because I kill deer. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I know that I had there was a there was a there was a spot we had that was along the road two years ago when we yeah. were hunting in the south or whatever, and you were like I won't sit there because it just doesn't feel right. It's like a hundred <laughs> yards off the road. I was like, dude, I will sit there, no problem. It's right. easy hiking. No <laughs> now, I did see one buck. We just had a tough year that year yeah. in general, but we did have good deer on that scrape leading up to us getting there. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? But you know, we found out there were some other circumstances that were at play that we weren't aware of what we were hunting. But so, all right, so we're almost wrapped up here. We talked about scrape inventory. Are we looking at like signpost rub inventory as well? Like, if you find something like that, are you willing to hang there, or is water playing into the into the mix here, especially being early season? You know, if the temps are high, are you looking at some like water sources possibly as well? Yeah, water, I and mean, that's something that I probably need to do a better job of. Personally, water sources can be a great great tool, especially with those hot temps. Um, you know, you know, early October, mm-hmm. um, and on, with the signpost rubs, that's again, that's something I really haven't done a whole lot of. That's something boots on the ground scouting. Like, you're always looking for. We're always looking for that sign, but historically, I've never really used cameras in that manner um, to really identify, you know, what right. deer is actually caught, you know, what, what deer is actually making that sign. Right. But that's something that I want to do more of. Right. So, yeah, even talking to Greg yesterday, how he his his strategy with rubs in general is uh, is pretty eye opening, and I do hang some cameras. It's over a primary trail, and I've had bucks, a particular buck, really big buck. Right. <laughs> down at the day, uh, sent up the same tree and, and rubbed the same. So the previous year, he sent it up, put his head on there, you know, completely sent it up, smelled it. And then this year, the deer that was living in that ditch 
was four and a half this year, and he's a little more dominant. And he was running around like crazy this year. He shredded that train. <laughs> right. <Okay. laughs> so nice. I mean, and that's that, historical data. Three sixty-five. Right. Like, down so to three, almost a day. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so wow. and okay. and I posted on Instagram and I put a little poll, and there's some people that said no. I was like, I think I think he'll be back down to the day. Right. And uh, he's alive right now, and I feel really good. I have, should have a chance to kill him. He's that's awesome. Deep. Which one was that? Was that the, is that big eight pointer? That big eight pointer. Yeah. Nice, nice. All right, man. Well, I think, fellas, that concludes part number two, talking about early season and a little bit of pre rut. And then, uh, thanks for coming on. And I'm looking forward to part three. Always, man. Appreciate it. All right, folks. That is a wrap for today's show. We would like to thank Chad and Jake for joining us. Be sure to visit them at ExodusOutdoorGear.com and follow them on Instagram and Facebook. We'd, of course, like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. It'd be super rad if you could do those two things for us. Before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout-out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Tecamani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, Dead Down Wind, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time... We'll see y'all. Makes me proud, makes me steal. I could show you through the door. I ain't welcome anymore. Long time coming, if it all. It takes a special no one to call up for. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.